Hi, good morning. It's Iowimala, and it's Tuesday, July 28th, and uh, hopefully today is going to be a little cooler and less muggy for us here in Crystal Lake and Woodstock and this part of Chicagoland. I guess we're part of that nation. Um, it's really good to be with you. It seems like it's been a long time, but it's only only been a couple of days. I'd like to start with my wish. I think that helps us all have a wonderful intention for the day. And uh, it's a good way, it's a good way to remember what can be the biggest help for us and make the most difference. And that's to be thinking about and seeing ourselves as a, uh, a helper for others in any way we can, other living beings, other human beings, for ourselves, have compassion for ourselves, compassion for others. So let's do this. Let's do my wish together. May I become at all times, both now and forever, a protector for those without protection, a guide for those who have lost their way, a ship for those with an ocean to cross, a sanctuary for those in danger, a lamp for those without light, a place of refuge for those who lack shelter, and a servant to all in need. By means of this meritorious deed, may I never join with the unwise, only the wise, until the time I attain Nibbana. We can be all of those things every day for someone. Maybe the maybe saying hello to someone can make someone's day today. We never know. Even the smallest things have that ripple effect. So today I'm I'm very excited to read something to you. You know I keep reading things from Pema Children's Welcoming the Unwelcome. If you're good at reading upside down or in a mirror. This is the book again. And this morning I was reading a section and I thought, um, I've just got to sit down and read this whole book because everything I read, and I'm reading it in little gaps in between other things I'm doing, and I have to sit down and just read it cover to cover because this, this is like a handbook for this pandemic time we've all been going through. And what she's helping me realize too is these are... Uh, this is this is all what we're experiencing in our life so many times and it's the, the more we can understand it that way and not think of this as any kind of a unique experience although it certainly has qualities that uh, most of us have I'm sure all of us have never experienced but what we're having happen is, you know, overnight. I can remember how overnight it was for me when this started. I had been in Tennessee to visit my mom and I was doing some teaching in Florida and uh, with the Blue Lotus there. And a, and, a, and a lot of me wanted to stay there. And uh, I hated to leave my mom because it's always nice to visit her and I don't get to do it. She's in Tennessee very often and um, got back because I was, I, 
I wanted to help get ready for the uh, Taste of Sri Lanka. So I was getting back the week before so I could help with all the kind of nitty-gritty things that have to be done around a big event like that the last week or so. And um, Kate got back and the next couple the, then was there for the weekend of preparation. And then the very next the very next day, we made a decision. We didn't. I didn't. The Bante uh, Sujata did. Um, made the decision that we thought we needed to call off the taste. And uh, two days later, a decision was made to no. The next day, or maybe the same night, the decision was made to no. Go ahead and have it. And uh, two days later, another decision was made to cancel it again. And that was our introduction at the temple of uh, dealing with this this thing that suddenly had become uh, a much bigger thing than anybody had thought it was going to be. So uh, even for those of us like me, I've re who've really enjoyed being at home, uh, it's it's still changing all of our worlds, right? Everybody's world is changing. So we all have that same background. But I think you'll really enjoy this uh, part. It's just part of the chapter from Pema Chodron's book. And it's called Life Changes in an Instant. The little paragraph to introduce it. When our bubble burst, we can recognize that we are walking through a very important doorway then we can experiment with hanging out on the other side of that doorway. We can learn to relax there. So she begins the chapter with uh, uh, talking about Joan Didion, who wrote a book called, uh, it's a wonderful book, The Year of Magical Thinking. Her husband died very suddenly, and she wrote a beautiful book about the year from his death on for the next year and how she dealt with her magical thinking that this wasn't real, you know, and, and not wanting to deal with it. Uh, and she talks about, so that's a beautiful part of the chapter, but I'm going to skip over that. But she does say, after she talks about this, um, she wrote, Life changes fast. This is Joan Didion, a quote from her book. Life changes in the instant. You sit down to dinner, and life as you know it ends. Then back to Pema. When I read these words, they resonated deeply with me. They brought to mind experiences where a sudden shock completely altered my usual, conventional, held-together view of reality. And it occurred to me that millions of people have had this kind of experience, this out-of-the-blue moment when your world completely falls apart. You don't have to be a Buddhist practitioner, I don't believe Joan Didion is one, to go through such abrupt and drastic changes to your concept of how things are. One of her teachers, Kongrel Rinpoche, talks about how all of us, whether we want to or not, live in a bubble. This is our own version of reality, created by our, by our ego, which is always turning away from the open-ended nature of how things are and trying to maintain the familiar. 
Most of the time, we are able to keep this sense of familiarity intact. Everything in our bubble is fairly predictable and seems to make sense. Even if we're going through a hard time, at some level, we're able to hold it all together. We get up in the morning, we enter a familiar world, we go through the day without many, with many familiar routines. How we prepare our food, how we have our coffee, how we relate to particular people in particular ways, it's all pretty unsurprising. This isn't something we consciously choose to do. Whatever kind of life we have, we have our own version of a bubble. It's our default way of being, and most of the time, we don't even know we're doing it. Even Joan Didion, a sophisticated woman with a rich and varied life, was living in a bubble. She knew her husband had a heart condition that one might one day prove fatal, but when she thought about the end of their time together, her thoughts would take the form of dramatic fantasies. She writes, I did not anticipate cardiac arrest at the dinner table. And then uh, Pema Chodron relates, and she's related this, I think in almost every book I've read, um, when she was living in New Mexico before she was a Buddhist, and uh, she says, I was, I was also in the middle of a mundane activity the first time this kind of thing happened to me. I was sitting in front of my house in New Mexico. I heard the car door slam. My husband walked around the corner. He told me he was having a, an affair and wanted a divorce. And wham, life as I knew it had ended. I hadn't connected with the Buddhist teachings yet, so I had no frame of reference. Then years later, I received my first teaching on shunyata. This Sanskrit word is most commonly translated as emptiness. As so many people do, I at first misunderstood it. Emptiness can easily sound like a void, an absence, a state of non-existence. Some people have a notion that it's like being thrown out of a capsule in outer space and floating away for all eternity. The image I had around emptiness was like the haunted mansion ride at Disneyland where the little cars take you through the house and you see all these ghostly hologram figures walking around. It took me a while to connect emptiness to what I had experienced that day in New Mexico or to other experiences where my bubble had suddenly burst. Nothing in our conceptual framework can prepare us for the experience of life as you know it ends. The way our mind perceives and holds things doesn't operate anymore. All our reference points are gone. How we normally conceive of reality just doesn't work. Although she doesn't use the same language, I believe that Joan Didion is describing an experience of emptiness. It's the experience of everyone whose world falls apart in this way. When we talk about emptiness, it's important to clarify what empty refers to. And this is beautiful description of this, we, this quality that we, that we talk about a lot in Buddhism. The word tree is just a convenient name for a collection of parts, trunk, limbs, leaves, that are always clinging, 
day by day, instant by instant, always changing, day by day, instant by instant. We label it all as a tree, but that label is just in our minds. In reality, there's nothing we can pin down with our limiting concepts. There's nothing permanent or solid we can hold on to. And this is true not only of trees, but of everything in the universe, including you and me. Everything is empty of fixed ideas and labels. But at the same time, a tree doesn't disappear when we recognize its emptiness. We just see it more clearly as it really is, fluid, open-ended, and interconnected with everything around it. Another way of talking about emptiness is to say that things are free of imputed meaning. Instead of experiencing things simply as they are, our mind imputes extra layers of meaning into them. This may sound very intellectual, but imputing meaning is something we all do continually. For example, think about how you feel when you say a nice cup of tea. Uh, for me, it would be a nice cup of coffee. How about a hot shower or my puppy? Do you think about the object just as it is, or is there another layer of meaning on top? To many of us, a nice cup of tea or coffee has the additional meaning of comfort. Money in the bank can mean security. A certain pair of shoes can mean good taste. A spouse can mean confirmation. But are any of these things actually in these objects? Are any of these meanings there? When our bubble is burst by sudden events, our imputed meanings are torn away. I read the account of a woman who was rushing to work on September the 11th, 2001. She was so obsessed with a presentation she had to do that she'd hardly been aware of anything else since waking up in the morning. She wasn't even sure she'd had breakfast. Her entire world was in her head and she walked up out of the subway station right at ground zero, and life as she knew it ended. One of the poignant details she, write, she wrote about was how the air was filled with paper all blowing around. All those important documents and presentations had simply become loose pieces of paper floating through the air. Their imputed meanings had vanished. Sudden experiences of emptiness can be triggered in all kinds of ways. Perhaps it's a piece of information. I knew someone who, when he was about 18, went through a profoundly unsettling experience after finding out he had been adopted. His adoptive parents had been very kind to him, and nothing really bad happened in his childhood. Yet the discovery immediately upended the version of reality he had knowingly, unknowingly constructed. Up to that point, he had lived his whole life assuming that the mother who had raised him had given birth to him and that his father had also been with him from day one. This reality was so finely integrated into his being that when he found out the truth, he had a major experience of groundlessness. Not only were the meanings of mother and father undermined, his own very identity had come into question. 
When your bubble bursts, even the most ordinary things in your life, your furniture, your neighbor, how you walk down the street, are stripped of their extra layers of imputed meaning, you find yourself in a groundless, open space. This can last for just a moment, or in the case of a severe shock, for much longer. If your world is so radically upended, it may take a long time to get it back together, to get some kind of ground back under your feet. So I'm going to skip a little bit. Okay. And this is the this is the part when I first started reading this, I heard, oh, I saw the words humorous. So I thought, oh, let's see what she's going to say here. And then it opened into this entire concept of, of uh, emptiness. All things are empty. So often we impute meaning in humorous ways. A few years ago, I was staying in a place with an oil stove. It looked exactly like a lovely fire in a fireplace. I enjoyed sitting in front of it, looking at the artificial logs, feeling the cozy warmth of those simulated flames. The only problem was that the oil fumes were irritating me, so I spent three days trying to outsmart the thing because I wanted that pleasant feeling of being in front of a fire without feeling sick. At some point, it occurred to me that I was behaving in this ridiculous manner just because I was imputing a meaning onto the fire, something like, home is where the hearth is. That realization cleared the way for me to be able to see things and how they really were. Instead of giving me pleasure, the lovely fire was giving me a splitting headache. When my bubble had burst and I could no longer fool myself, I was able to enjoy a good laugh. Having this small insight into emptiness turned a moment of disappointment into a moment of humor. From the Buddhist point of view, the more we get the hang of emptiness, the more delight we are open to. As we start to experience things as they really are, beyond labels and imputations, we discover a joyous freedom from our illusions. As we get to know and appreciate the open groundless state of shunyata, we realize it is far more enjoyable than the fictitious reality we struggle so hard to maintain and improve. And discovering this leads to our having compassion for all who are engaged in that continual struggle. For this reason, developing an understanding of emptiness is one of the most important parts of the Buddha's path. The difficulty with emptiness occurs when we have no context for understanding the experience. If emptiness is simply thrust upon us by circumstances, it can be very painful or at least disorienting. Most people who suddenly find themselves with their imputed reality stripped away have no idea what to do. The space is too wide open and there's nothing familiar to hang on to. We can prepare for such experiences by starting to get familiar with emptiness now. Welcome to our world, right? One way of doing this is the method described in the previous chapter sitting in the middle of what's going on and letting go of concepts 
and labels to the best of our ability. If we do this regularly, we may, from time to time, have vivid experiences of how everything is empty, of our fixed ideas and mental overlays. They can be similar to moments of life as you know it ends, but without the shock and the trauma. Although these moments of insight seem to arise from nowhere, they come about because of our practice, from our willingness to keep sitting in the middle of the karmic seeds ripening. I really love this, and I'd like to read it again, because we're, when we speak about uh, karmic seeds, we're talking about those that cause and effect of the world. These seeds ripen at different times, and so uh, something that we've done in the past that was really good, that seed may ripen when we least expect it, and something good may happen to us. The same way with things that happen that are that are unpleasant or not so good, it might we might catch catch that reaction immediately, or it might be lifetimes away that we kind of have to pay the piper. So. Although these moments, and these are these moments, if, if we can just sit and look in the middle of our experience that are not even bad, although these moments of insight seem to arise from nowhere, they come about because of our practice, from our willingness to keep sitting in the middle of our karmic seeds ripening. They are the natural results of our openness and curiosity about whether our labels and mental imputations have any basis in reality. <clears throat> Cultivating the experience of emptiness will give us a context for what's going on when the bottom falls out of our lives. It will give us a way of facing the most difficult and disorienting times, such as illness, loss, and eventually our own death. Without so much despair and rejection. Since I started studying emptiness, I've had a few out-of-the-blue moments of having my world turned upside down. I wouldn't say the abrupt experience of having the, burble, the bubble burst is fundamentally different, but having a context makes it no longer terrifying or disorienting. It doesn't give you a ground or something to hold on to, because the experience itself is one of groundlessness. But knowing about emptiness makes it possible to face it courageously. It makes it possible to appreciate the experience as something that brings us closer to the truth. I really love that. When our bubble burst, we can recognize that we are walking through a very important doorway then we can experiment with hanging out on the other side of that doorway. We can learn to relax there. Eventually, we can even fall in love with emptiness. And as one of her teacher likes to say, we can fall in love with emptiness. My teachers and the other people I've encountered who have learned to live in this open space, free of imputed meaning, are the most fearless, compassionate, and joyful people I have ever known. They are living examples of what this kind of falling in love can do. Falling in love with emptiness. That's, that's 
a wonderful phrase, isn't it? So I think we are all having this experience in different degrees and on different days during this pandemic of experiencing groundlessness. And uh, we, we, can't, we can't even feel the ground sometimes because we're, everything shifts. When, you know, we, we had initially, we thought we'd have maybe a month at the most and we'd be getting back to normal. Uh, and then we did, we did really well in Illinois and just as we're opening up months, months later, months longer than we thought, uh, then, then other states started, their cases started surging and uh, everything, everything kind of reversed and we, it was almost like starting all over again. And now we're in a, we're, uh, it's getting to be the end of summer almost, and we're wondering if our kids are going to school or not, if uh, colleges and universities are going to be all online or not. So this is groundlessness, and this is something that we can, I think she says it beautiful, beautifully, we can learn to deal with this without, without uh, living in a, a world of magical thinking without living in denial or delusion. We can use this as a way to practice the experience of emptiness, which just means <clears throat> that emptiness just means that we're looking at reality more clearly. And like she says, all of her, the people she knows who really practice it are the happiest, most joyful people she knows. Um, because that groundlessness is part of this world, isn't it? And there's nothing wrong with us having our daily rituals and our habits that we enjoy and having, uh, but, but underneath it, it's good to have that, that, that be that, have that real honesty within us that all of these things are permanent, impermanent. <clears throat> We're impermanent. Our wonderful pets that we love so much are impermanent. Our dear friends who kind of up and die on us before we expect it, they're impermanent. Uh, they, our family members, the trees, everything. And so we live, we live learning about that. And so we might as well enjoy the lesson, right? And. Uh, experience, take those opportunities, and this, we're living in one, take this all as an opportunity to experience what it's like, and then to, to do the best we can with it. So I've read the whole time away, but I want to thank you all for listening, and I hope you, this is, this is a beautiful, I think a beautiful lesson, and it shouldn't make anyone feel depressed or uh, miserable. I think it's. I think that kind of emptiness and that kind of uh, groundlessness can be very liberating. And that's. Uh, it may not be right away, and it, might, it may not feel like it right at the moment, depending on the experiences you're going through. But if we keep remembering that this is, and if you're a Buddhist, if you're a student of the Buddhist teachings. You don't have to be a Buddhist. But we, we do understand that this is one of the things he was trying to teach us the most. We have to let go of everything. 
no more grasping, no more clinging, because the nature of everything is to be here for a while and then to change, to leave. And we know, you know, think of a tree. Uh, it's here for a long, long time if it just is allowed to grow naturally, right? And the conditions are all right. But think it begins as a little seed, and then it's a little delicate, delicate uh, sprout, and then it grows into something that lives for hundreds of years, and it's always losing leaves and going through the seasons and uh, changing, and sometimes birds may live in it, sometimes it may just be, there might not be much life and only woodpeckers are on it. But this is what we, this is what this experience that we're all living through uh, can be. This is a, this is a beautiful lesson for us. And uh, we'll have days when we're dealing with it really well and we'll all have days where we're really not wanting to, not wanting to see it not wanting to deal with things, but try to let try to let your practice be to welcome the groundlessness, welcome the emptiness, because it's just recognizing the true nature of things. And then within that we can live with joy. Okay, thank you so much. And tomorrow's Wednesday, so I'll see you Thursday and enjoy today and uh, enjoy the feeling of spaciousness Thank you. Bye-bye.